Very good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, good morning also to those of you worshipping at home. I know by circumstances, some of you are not able to join us and we, want, we really, really miss your fellowship and so hope that you can connect with the rest of the body of Christ in other platforms besides the Sunday worship service. Now, it's a happy, exciting day for many people, especially for our baptismal candidates. It's the end of their 10-week long baptism membership class plus two full-day retreat. And so they are going to get baptized, confirmed and received into the membership of our Amokyo Methodist Church family today. It's a happy day. I still recall with uh, great fondness the day I was baptized as a 19-year-old, especially significant for me because I came from a non-Christian background and to be baptized really means a point of no return. But yet, at the same time, my mom who was a non-believer at the time. Uh, she came to support me, so I'm very thankful for that. Later on, my mom came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for herself and that's also a, a testimony in itself. And so, uh, if you're here to support your family and friends, uh, those who are being baptized today, we warmly welcome you to the Amokyo Methodist Church family. I want to say to all of you that uh, your presence here today means a lot to those who are getting baptized, uh, confirmed, and so on and so forth. And if you're not yet part of a local church community, we welcome you to join us here at the Amokyo Methodist Church family as well. It's also a Sunday of double joy because today is also Pentecost Sunday. And the term Pentecost comes from the Greek Pentecost Day, meaning 50th. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's really a numerical term, 50th. But if there's a spiritual significance, it comes from the link to the Jewish festival of Shavuot. Uh, in the Hebrew, Shavuot means weeks, like seven days in a week. Right? So week after seven of seven weeks is 49 days, and then it's the 50th Pentecost. So I'm excited to share what happened on the very first Pentecost Sunday. Let's read the account taken from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears them, each of us hears them in our own native language? And then verses 9 to 11, if I were to pronounce all these, I'm speaking in tongues already. <laughs> I skipped the verse. Uh, end of verse 11, right? They hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. And so we begin with that last question, and then we will slowly walk our way back up the scripture text for today until we find ourselves together in one place. So what does this mean? In this context, the question most likely refers to this. Why are these Galileans... These fishermen who are unschooled, who were called by Jesus as his disciples, these Galileans, how is it that these unschooled fishermen are able to declare the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongues? How is it that we can understand what they're saying? First of all, I want to show us a map of the ancient world. Verses 9 to 11, as mentioned, which I didn't read, really record the nations that were present on that first Pentecost Sunday. Again, we must understand they live in the ancient world. They are not you know, global, living in a globalized world like us. For them, their world is, this is the world. 
you don't think about North America, South America, Australia, all these are not in their radar at all. And so when the scripture says, every nation under heaven, this is their view, their worldview at the time. And so if you look at this map, Israel as a nation sits at one of the most important places, junctions of the ancient world. If you wanted to go from Africa to Asia, you needed to cross through Israel. And vice versa, if you wanted to go from Asia to Europe, you also have to go through this major junction. And that explains partly why there were so many people you know, always going to and fro Israel, and that's why Israel also was always a battleground for the nations. It's the major highway for the ancient empires of the world. Everybody needs to go through that narrow channel. At the same time, I hope you remember that I said the word Pentecost is closely tied to the Jewish festival of weeks, or Shavuot. In the Old Testament, all Jews were required to be present for three major festivals. And this festival, the Pentecost, is one of them. And that is why the scripture says, many God-fearing Jews from all the nations, they were gathered in one place. Because they were obedient to God's commandment, we need to gather for this festival. And so they all came towards Jerusalem. But still, we haven't answered their question. What does this mean? What does this mean? Now, literally, as I explained to you, Pentecost means 50th. But what is the spiritual significance of Pentecost? And so for the next part of my sermon, I have six more meanings of Pentecost together. What does Pentecost mean? The total number of seven. There are many meanings, actually, but I just want to highlight seven for us this day. The second point, but the first spiritual significance is this. God is a supernatural, miracle-working God. We tend to think of speaking in tongues in a different language, more from the perspective of spiritual gifts, which I covered last year, maybe, First Corinthians passage and practices. But unfortunately, this approach for many Christians end up more divisive rather than uniting. If you see it from a purely spiritual gift point of view, you might either feel very superior, wow, I can speak in tongues, or feel very inferior, oh, I cannot speak in tongues. That's not really exactly how we're supposed to understand spiritual gifts. On the other hand, if you see it from a practice point of view, and this is where churches are divided, you end up either promoting tongues or restricting tongues. But again, that means not necessarily helpful. In, in this context, at its most fundamental level, we need to understand here, especially in this passage, tongues is a powerful testimony of a supernatural, miracle-working God. Why do I say that? You see, all languages in the natural course of affair takes a lot of hard work. Correct? Anyone try to learn second, third, fourth language? You know you have to put in a lot of hard work just to master a language. So ordinarily, to learn a new language requires a lot of human effort. And so Pentecost is a testimony of a supernatural God. Ordinarily, five loaves, two fish, you can never feed 5,000. Impossible. But supernaturally, Jesus did it. Ordinarily, human beings can never walk on water. But supernaturally, again, Jesus did it. And all these are testimonies of a supernatural God whom we worship. So let's not forget that, that the first spiritual meaning of Pentecost is that God is alive. He is a miracle-working supernatural God. I heard this testimony recently uh, related by Pastor Emmanuel, who related this testimony from Pastor Isaac, who is now at Pentecost Methodist Church. And you know he was one of our Amokyo homeboys. We bless him, we send him out to serve the larger body of track. And so recently, Pastor Isaac went on a mission trip. And in that mission trip, of course, the Holy Spirit was moving as well. And he went with the Chinese ministry staff, which already is quite amazing since Isaac doesn't speak very good Mandarin. 
So this Chinese ministry staff, if you go to a Chinese church, you will know that actually they are not very comfortable speaking in English. And of course, for us, English church to speak in Chinese uh, is not very comfortable. And so this ministry staff during the, the, the mission trip started speaking out in tongues. And guess what was the language? Perfect English. Wow. And so this is not something that is just in the Old, uh, New Testament 2,000 years ago. God continues to give the gift of tongues even in our world today. You can always call Pastor Isaac to verify this account and hear more for yourself. Let's move on. The third point for today, God is the sovereign ruler of nations. The story of Pentecost cannot be understood without understanding how the different languages of the world came about. Anthropologists, linguists, they may have their own theories as to how languages develop across the world. Some of our young people may be studying this in the universities, and they may be correct as to how all these languages evolve and develop. I just want to share today from the Bible's point of view, which may or may not conflict with secular research, and that's the thing we need to understand. What's in the Bible and what's studied in the world may or may not necessarily conflict, and it's not, it's not a simple conversation. But anyway, from the Bible's point of view, Genesis 11, this is how the world began to speak in different languages. Now, the whole world had one language, one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the language so that they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And that's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them across over the face of the whole earth. So from this simple account, we see the reasons why God had to differentiate the languages and disperse humanity across the world. Now, first of all, as they mentioned, they wanted to build a tower that reaches to the heavens, which really symbolizes, you know, this self-promotion. You see, in the ancient world, they don't have aeroplanes like us. For them, gods are in heaven. Human beings are on earth. So for them to build, not just stones, uh, stones are natural, right? They wanted to bake their own bricks. Human effort built their own tower that reaches to the heavens. They wanted to be like God to promote themselves to God's level. And so that was their first folly. Second, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And that's self-praise. Instead of exalting God's name, they wanted to be famous. But at the end of the day, there was one major reason. That is, they don't want to be scattered over the face of the earth, which really symbolizes self-preservation. If you think about it, these are all our human tendencies, right? Our sinful tendencies. We like to promote ourselves, self-praise, Actually, self-praise is international disgrace, they say. And then we like to preserve ourselves. Okay, don't get into trouble. All right, it's not my business. These are all our human tendencies. And this third aspect especially is significant because it's a direct disobedience to God's commandment to Noah after the flood. After the flood in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God says very specifically to Noah, be fruitful, and his family of course, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. 
You're supposed to spread out, fill the entire earth, not cluster in one place. But the power of Babel story tells us human pride comes in. They don't want to be dispersed because of their self-promotion, self-praise, self-preservation. And so God had to confuse them, confuse their languages, and then scatter them, scatter them all over the earth. Now, you place this story in contrast to the story of Pentecost. It's the entire opposite. It's the reverse. Here we have a story of a God who descends, not us trying to reach God, but God reaches from heaven, coming down, descending through His Spirit. Then we have the Holy Spirit who declares the wonders of God. Verse 11, not human beings exalting ourselves, but the Holy Spirit through our mouths exalting God's wonders. And then finally, forming a people who will be willing to die for the name of Jesus. Descending, declaring, dying for God's name. Tradition tells us, out of the twelve disciples, the original twelve, except for John the Apostle who died old in exile in the island of Patmos, all the other eleven, everyone was martyred. They died for Jesus' name. And so, to be baptized, for those of us being baptized today, means we are, must be willing to go the full distance for God. It's a reminder for those of us who are already baptized. To be baptized in Jesus' name, yes, there are many privileges as children of God, but there's also a cost, and the cost is to be willing to lay our lives down in Jesus' name. And so baptism cannot be taken lightly, whether as adults for ourselves or as parents for our children. Yes, it's a covenantal sign. We are the people of God. Yes, important. That's what Jesus commands. But it also means we must be prepared to go the full distance with God and for God. So back to this point on Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. Both these accounts affirm a God who is sovereign over all the nations. The God who scattered the different nations is also the God, the only God who can gather the nations. This is important. The God who scattered the nations is the only one. Only in Jesus' name, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we gather back the different nations under one king. The nations of our world continue to, to fight, conflict in each other. There is no way human politics will ever solve this problem. There is only one solution. Of course, not everybody has found it. The church has a solution and therefore it is incumbent upon us to declare this truth and this love so that one day all nations will be gathered under one King and one Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's move on. Point number four for today. God sends us out with testimonies of praise. One of the Holy Spirit's most important roles is to bring glory to the Father and to the Son. And so really it is not surprising that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they started praising God, declaring God's praises. Verse 11 again. And so this also explains from uh, experience uh, why most people usually break out in tongues during times of prayer, praise and worship. You find it easier, right, to praise God in tongues somehow in the atmosphere of worship because this is the Holy Spirit's role. His Spirit connects with us, Spirit, to bring praises to God. Psalm 22 verse 3 in the King James Version declares God inhabits the praises of His people. And so when His people and us, we praise God, God dwells in our midst. Praising God creates this spiritual atmosphere where God is welcome. And when God is welcome, He is pleased to display His manifest presence. And then that's when many people encounter Him. I recall some years ago, I went on a mission trip. It was a gathering and training of pastors. 
And we were just praising God in high praise. We were just jumping around like crazy. I don't know, one, two hours of just jumping, praising God. No one was preaching. There was no altar call for ministry. But at the end of the session of high praise, there were testimonies of healing. Wow, this pastor was healed, that pastor was healed. God was just moving in our midst without us even explicitly saying that God heal your people. And that's what high praise does. When we praise God, and later on we have a time of seeking God and praising God as well. We invite God to come and allow Him to move, free hand to move. And that's why I mentioned last week in my sermon, in this Pentecost season, we learn to be spontaneous, flow with the Spirit and see what God will do in our midst. And so when we do this, we, we praise God, we encounter God, we encounter God, we praise God even more. It's like a positive cycle, reinforcing cycle. Everyone who, is, who encounters God is sent out with a testimony to praise God. Like the upper room, disciples, they sought God, waited in prayer for weeks, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and then they went to the streets declaring the wonders of God. Just a few days ago, last Thursday, I attended one for Jesus gathering uh, with pastoral team member Abigail. And uh, so it was pioneered by Jason Wong, bringing one for Jesus to the Lord Jesus. At the gathering, someone shared this statement, As a church, we owe the world an encounter with Jesus. As the church, it is incumbent upon us. We have a duty, a responsibility to bring Jesus to the world. We who have encountered God, we who are blessed by God, saved, forgiven, we owe the world an encounter with the same Lord who has saved us. At the Alpha Leadership Conference on one of the nights, they invited the students involved in the Asbury Revival to give their testimonies. Uh, previously, I had read their accounts online. I shared before, right, one of the sermons. But there, I got to hear them in person. And they shared how they stewarded the revival or the move of God. Way before the revival hit, they already had this practice in place called the green room. The green room was a place where all the people involved in the worship, they would come together for prayer, heart examination. It was a consecration, consecration room, as it were, a holy room for them to prepare to serve. Uh, before they serve, they would always pray. And the thing I caught from that, that sharing was this, that the students never serve in public chapel services without, first of all, preparing their hearts and consecrating themselves before the Lord in private prayer. It's always the private prayer first before the public prayer, public ministry. Our church, we also try to do that, and I hope more of us can come on board. Every Sunday, 7 o'clock, the first gathering prayer happens. The worship team, the ushers, the AV, all of us who are involved in the service, we already gather for prayer. And then later on, at uh, 9.20, there's another gathering prayer. But there is also a pre-service prayer happening. 20 minutes before each service at the Amstutz Hall here, at 7.40, and then at 9.40, we prepare, we pray first. We are not yet at the momentum where things are happening like crazy, but I believe we are sowing the seeds. And at 5 p.m. service, it's 4 o'clock, we gather for prayer, and then later on, the pre-service prayer at 4.40. What was also mentioned at the Asbury uh, revival by the students is this phrase, uh, you know, you heard of this phrase, maybe in the American context, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Usually that refers to all the secret sins, huh? vices. You don't want to know, let people know what secret wrong things you did in Vegas. But for the Asbury students, they said it was completely the reverse. What happens in Asbury doesn't stay in Asbury. It is declared all over the world. And so I shared with you before, the TikTok and all this uh, Twitter, everything went crazy when the revival broke. 
just exploded, spread like wildfire. Similarly, what happened in the private upper room is now declared publicly all over the world. There are other lessons taught at the Alpha Leadership Conference, and some of these lessons really are caught more than taught. Nicky Gumbel was, of course, the keynote speaker for a couple of sessions, and he shared the heart behind his ministry and the ministry of Holy Trinity Brompton. I just list out three bullet points here. I won't elaborate. What drives them is the evangelization of the nations. They want to see people come to the Lord. That is our Methodist heritage as well. John Wesley always told the preachers, your number one business, your core business is to save souls. That's evangelization of the nations. Second, revitalization of the church. God birthed the Methodist movement to reform the Anglican church. And many churches actually were birthed to revitalize the church. Same with the charismatic renewal. All these were work of the Spirit to revitalize the church. Whenever the church went into the decline, the Holy Spirit will always do something new. Unfortunately, I wouldn't say, you know, human beings are perfect. Out of pride, usually we split off, have schisms, but actually that's not God's intention. It's always to revitalize the church, which leads to the transformation of the world. The church cannot just be a religious space. God will send us out so that we transform the world through our lives. And these are the burning desires of my heart as well. And I pray for all of us, this will become the burning desires of all our hearts as a church. And this is the very heart of God. Moving on, point number five. God's Spirit is absolutely critical and essential to mission and evangelism. That is why Jesus told the disciples, Hey, hang on, wait. Before you do anything in my name, wait for power from on high. That's Acts chapter four, 1 verse 4. Wait from the power that comes to you from the heavens, from on high. They had to wait in Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit came, then they went out to declare the wonders of God. We need to learn that the supernatural task of witnessing to a cynical and sinful world cannot be accomplished without the supernatural empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can do some things in our human effort, but to win the evangelization of the whole world, it needs a supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Give you the scriptural example. When the Holy Spirit came upon Simon Peter, he became completely fearless and he proclaimed the gospel so boldly. That's in the rest of Acts chapter 2. Previously, if you remember the gospels, Simon Peter had denied Peter, uh, Jesus three times when Jesus was being arrested, right? And then Peter sneakily followed along. Privately, a few people came to him, Hey, aren't you with Jesus? Weren't you with Jesus? And each time he denied Jesus. Privately, he denied Jesus three times. But when the Holy Spirit came, he refuses to even deny Jesus once publicly. Every time he declared Jesus, they would throw him into jail. He prayed, God, more of your spirit that I may continue declaring you. That's supernatural empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. Our church team for this year is mission with the Master with emphasis that God is on a mission and we must join Him on His mission. But we also need to recognize that it is impossible to be on mission with the Master unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to encounter Him in a real and experiential, tangible way once again. The Holy Spirit came to the disciples in an undeniable way. If you look at the text, there was a sound of a mighty wind or rushing waters. Why was it so, so many different translations? Because you cannot really capture what was experienced in the words. It's really hard. 
you have your own experiences with God, emotions. How is it easy, easy, easy is it to crystallize them and put them into words? It's not easy, right? And then, but again, there was the sound, and then there was visible, what seemed to be like tongues of fire came coming down and then spreading and resting on each one of them. How did we did they actually see it? Nobody knows. But they it is very clear that they experienced God in a real and undeniable way. Some people I heard before the testimony, they were worshipping. And the sound of a rushing water or mighty wind, right? It sounded to them like being next to your modern A380, for example, your modern jetliner. That kind of sound, you know, the people who work in the airport, they have to wear the earmuffs. It's so loud. Maybe it's true, possible, because that's what the book of Pentecost, a uh, book of Acts records for us on the first Pentecost. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to experience Him in a real, tangible way. Then we can go out in the power of the Spirit. Number six, now this promise of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Very important. It's not only for pastors or you know, certain leaders. No, we need again to renew our minds. The Spirit of God is for everyone. How many people were there in the upper room? 120. How many were filled by the Spirit? 120. <laughs> that is God's intention. Everyone can receive the Spirit of God, whether you're young or old. Male or female, slave or free, rich or poor. From God's point of view, there is no favoritism, no special privilege. People, one group above another, all races, all nations, everyone supposed to be filled by the Spirit of God. To all who repent and call upon the name of Jesus, you shall be saved. It doesn't say only certain people are saved. No, all who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. All who wait upon the Lord shall be filled. All hunger and thirst and righteousness shall be filled as well. So it's promised for everyone. But here's the caveat. We must learn to wait. Waiting is not easy for us Singaporeans. Unless you're waiting for super nice food, then you're waiting to queue one hour. But even then, it's not easy, right? You occupy yourself for one hour standing in queue. Generally, we don't like to wait. And probably if you ask me, experientially, pastorally, that is probably our greatest obstacle as Singaporeans. Besides the human pride, everything, the normal sinful nature, in particular for us Singaporeans, waiting is our greatest weakness. And so we must learn again what it means to wait. Not just once, but every day, every day, every day, on and on. So later on, I'll lead us in a time where we learn to wait upon the Lord. If something happens, good. If something doesn't happen, we keep waiting. It's a season of Pentecost. Finally, point number seven, God's Spirit is now what we carry into the world. In the Old Testament, Moses and the people of God, they were led by the presence of God before them. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When the tabernacle in the temple were built, God's presence was still before them. It was still before them in the Holy of Holies. And even when Jesus himself came, incarnated as one of us, as a human like us, he was still before our eyes. But the difference in Pentecost is this. God is no longer before us. He is in us. He is with us. He comes upon us. That's what Pentecost really symbolizes. A community under God's presence. That God's presence is no longer before us, leading us like a good shepherd, but now He is with us and we listen to Him intimately. Give you an analogy. If you take a bottle of alcohol, a bottle of spirit before you, if you don't touch it, it is forever before you. But if you start drinking it, 
you come under the influence of alcohol, of the spirit, right? And that's why people get drunk, you will drink too much, right? you under the influence of alcohol. In a spiritual sense, that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. They drank of the Spirit, and now they come under the influence of the Spirit. And the Bible records for us that the, the witnesses were puzzled, eh, are they drunk? I can tell you why they say that, because there were times in God's presence I was drunk in the Spirit. I'm fully conscious of myself, but I'm swaying, I'm laughing, sometimes I'm crying. It's not what a normal sane person would do. But when the Spirit comes, anything can happen. He's a Spirit of joy, of holiness. So anything really can happen because He's the God of all creation. He's a very creative God. If you're involved in the 70s, 80s, uh, Singapore Charismatic Renewal, you will know that the emphasis in that era was about the restoration of the power gifts, miracles, healing, signs and wonders. That's what got restored to the church in the 70s, 80s. But as the Asbury Revival shows, God is teaching us, the whole body of Christ globally, a new lesson. And that is hunger for the presence of God. As good as the gifts of God are, if you don't have the gift of tongues, ask for it. If you don't have the gift of signs and wonders, ask for it. All these gifts are important. As important as these gifts are, most important is the presence of God. For where God's presence is, there He will manifest His goodness and blessings. A reminder of what Pastor Hansen preached at our Together conference. Every time we gather as God's people, we are gathering in the presence of our King. We are gathering as kingdom people with a kingdom purpose. That's why every time we send out the WhatsApp message, maybe some, most of you don't read, huh? <laughs> every time the same, right? But we always make it very intentional. Kingdom people gather with a kingdom purpose. We are not just here to so-called uh, do my whatever routine, pay my dues to God. No. There is a kingdom purpose that God has given to us as missional church, as his people. We gather in this area of assembly to receive life, to receive Christ, to receive God's Spirit's fresh empowerment. And then God will send us out. We are scattered to reveal Christ, to reveal Christ in our respective areas of operation for some it's the army camp for some in the schools, some in the hospitals, some in workplaces, some overseas nowadays. But wherever we go, we are scattered to review Christ, to release the Father's blessing on the whole world. So let me get the music team up as they assist me in this time. As we just want to spend some time seeking God's presence, and just worshipping, asking Him to come once again. Come, let us pray. God, you are the God of the ages. You never change. The cultures may change, people change, expressions of worship changes, but Lord, you never change. Your heart never changes. You are still a master on a mission. And you still long to pour forth your spirit in greater measure upon all of your children that we may do the works that you have called us. And so, Lord, your people, we come before you this day. Teach us to wait. Draw us. Draw us closer to you, Lord. As your people worship you, draw us closer to you and fill us afresh. We're going to sing this rather new song. If you don't know the tune, the words, it's fine. Just allow the music team to lead us in this time. <laughs>